Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your kilohertz on your AM dial and also on digital radio. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to welcome Emma and Kendra to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Uh, they're going to share their journey of recovery from active drug addiction with the help of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so we usually start talking about early life, what it was like growing up and how things progressed. So, Emma, what was family life like for you? Um, well, it was pretty, um, I won't say normal. Um, I didn't really have a normal childhood, but I had a caring, loving family. Um, we all had issues, though, at times, as normal families do. But um, my dad went to sea, so he wasn't a home for a lot of my life. Um, my mum basically uh, brought us kids up alone for most of it. Um, so when dad come home, he, uh, you could always tell when it was time for him to go because uh, he just um, he got the sea legs and wanted to go back to work. He was always a working class person um, and provided for his family. But um, it became isolating and lonely and um, I was uh, a bit of a shit of a kid at times and I never wanted to listen and um, I was a daddy's girl, uh, wanted my dad all the time, so I acted out a lot. Um, and I think I gave my mum a lot of hell <laughs> growing up, <laughs> as you do. Um, and so um, I started using drugs. I was, I, my sister used to let me drink at parties when I was eight. You know, it would be funny to get me drunk, um, stuff like that. And then uh, I started discovering drugs when I was about 12, 13, smoking a bit of marijuana here and there. Um, and then it slowly progressed on to um, speed and then heroin and then um, ice was the the big one at the end, um, which totally destroyed my life. But um, <laughs> okay. but uh, I was uh, a bit of an out there teenager, always in trouble, didn't really concentrate in school. Um, I either got people to copy my work, I copied their work or got my mum to do my homework for me, so I never really did it myself. But um, I was lost and lonely and broken a lot. Um, I suffered a lot of trauma when I was younger, um, abuse um, at the hands of other people, um, neighbourhood kids and stuff. Um and I hated myself. I hated my life. Um, so what, why did you hate yourself? Uh, I have borderline personality disorder. Um, so I just, I hated everything about myself. Um, I'm also six foot two and a half. Okay. <laughs> so um, I was picked on a lot for my height and my weight, um, everything I wore. Um, you know, we weren't the richest of families, but, um, you know, so I had uh, not the best of everything in clothes wise and stuff. So everybody picked on everything and I was the friend that was um, the bun of everybody's jokes. So I looked for um, common ground with people and I was just lost little sheep. I didn't find any um, really common ground with um, friends. So I turned to drugs to escape the reality I was in um, and find friends and connection that way. And um, I found that inside people that were using instead of looking for people in recovery. Um, yeah. I found a way of escaping the uh, nightmare and um, the trauma that I was suffering. Um, I suffered nightmares horrifically all my life. Um, I couldn't sleep very well. Um, I used to self-harm a lot. Um, I just couldn't look myself in the mirror and I didn't know why. Um, I was empty. I had this overwhelming sense of emptiness my whole life and I couldn't feel it no matter what I did to try and fill it with um, whether it was sex, drugs, alcohol, 
Um, I just could never find a way of filling that void inside myself. And um, when I used, I would use a lot and it would take it away for a little bit, but not but not long enough. Not long enough, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the more empty I felt, the more I used um, off the back of that and um, and the hate inside myself. I couldn't stand to look at myself in the mirror um, and couldn't, couldn't know why because I was a caring, loving person and um, just hurt, broken. Um, I used to hear a little girl crying all the time and my mum would say, that's my inner child. You know what I mean? It was just um, lost and emptiness. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how about you, Kendra? What what sort of family life did you have? Um, so I was, I don't know, like I was brought up in a pretty good environment. Um, my mum's always been really loving and really supportive. Um, but my dad wasn't around. He's um, an addict with mental health issues as well. And, and um, his mental health issues are pretty severe. And, you know, I was always, I always felt like the black sheep, um, you know, like I was always daddy's girl and my brother's a mummy's boy and um, and I didn't at a young age understand why dad wasn't around. Um, and, you know, like I thought it was mum's fault and I rebelled and, and I was very resentful, um, especially those teenage years, you know, those early teenage years where everything's changing and hormones and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, like I, I spent a lot of time rebelling and, and um, I got bullied a lot at, at high school as well, and um, and you know, like I didn't, I didn't like authority, and I didn't like being told what to do, and and um, and and so there was a string of, um, you know, like expulsions and suspensions and and detention all the time, and um, and I just, I just really struggled to, you know, like I didn't know who I was, and I didn't know what my purpose was, and and that stuff didn't sit comfortably with me, and um. And yeah, like I, I had a lot of um, that similar stuff of you know self harm and mental mental health and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, like I just couldn't sit with myself and I couldn't look in the mirror. I was disgusted with who I, who I saw and and um, and I didn't understand why um, you know like why I behaved the way that I behaved and I didn't want to be a bad person or make such bad decisions. And you know, like I'm ego but I'm quite intelligent and um and I always did well at school but I just I never applied myself and you know all the school reports said the same thing very capable very intelligent but doesn't apply themselves and um and I just rebelled and you know like it was it was really easy for me to succumb to that peer pressure um you know especially when you know like I tried so hard to fit in and I didn't and I got bullied and um you know, like being myself didn't work and, and trying to fit in with the others and be who they wanted me to be didn't work and, um, you know, like they could tell that I was trying too hard and and it didn't, um, you know, like really I look back at it and, you know, like I wish I had have been able to find a place to just be okay with who I was and, um, you know, like at that, that young impressionable um, young young woman, like I wasn't capable of, of finding that and... Um, I don't know like I it was it was really easy for me to fall into that pattern of um you know like I was introduced to drugs and and people wanted to be around me and 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 um I I wanted to be around them and you know we had this common interest that um was fun and and all well and good at at the start and um yeah like it it started off as just you know, smoking a bit of pot here and there or at parties, getting sloshed and 
doing stupid things and, and, you know, the pride and the ego that came about with that when the kids thought I was cool because I'd just run through the football oval, through the sprinklers at 4am in the morning when it's two degrees outside and, um, <laughs> you know, like that sort of stuff. Um, you know, like I got a buzz from that and um, and I didn't have to feel my feelings um, and I didn't have to feel anything when I had a drug or alcohol in my system and right from the start, you know, I picked that stuff up and I ran ran with it. And um, So how, how were you when you started? Uh, when I started using marijuana i was probably about 13 um and you know like it started off as every weekend or um you know every friday night staying at a friend's house or whatever and and it progressed and um you know by the end of my using it was all day every day and i had absolutely no control over it and um you know like i couldn't function as a human being unless i had a drug in my system um, and, you know, like I remember one Christmas day, um, not long before I got clean, we are all down at my nan's house having Christmas lunch and I made my mum leave early um, to take me to my dealer's house so I could go and smoke because I couldn't eat, because I couldn't sit and talk to the family because I didn't have a drug in my system and I couldn't function. Um, so I suppose that's just, you know, the the long-term impact that using had on me. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, so, Emma, you're in your late teens. Yep. Life's a bit of a mess. So, what's what's happening? Um, okay. So, uh, I was picked up the speed at about sixteen. Um, my friend's mum said, "Have you ever tried Louis before?" And I went, "What's that?" And as I went, "What's that?" She um, put the knife in my mouth with it on it and said, "Now drink." And um, I liked it from um, day one and you know I, I still had no real friends um, I spent most of my teenage life in the library and um, I watched Gone with the Wind 56 times so I can tell you <laughs> word for word what that is because that was my teenage life you know what I mean and then I'll just get smashed in, in front of the telly and um, and watch it and because I grew really tall really fast I dislocated a lot of bones especially my knees so I lived my life on crutches and painkillers Right. Um, and so, and I like the green whistle a little too much, um, you know. So, um, I, I'm a bigger girl, and um, I always have been. And I had a friend say to me, you know, um, do you want to lose weight? And I said, yeah, no worries. And he goes, stick out your arm, and you know, and um, he had gave me heroin, and um, I remember falling to the floor, going, I want some more. Um, and so, and that just become the kicking off of my real addiction. Um, and then I thought that I was an addict throughout my uh, in late teens into my um, early um, adulthood, but I had no idea what was laying ahead of me when I found the ice. Um, I, I, when I was 19, 20, I um, met a man who was my drug dealer and I slept with him and I fell pregnant with my son. Um, and I, all I ever really wanted was someone to love me and be and felt that unconditional love and I thought I'd get that with having a child and and give that back to him I had so many hopes and dreams and I fell into my addiction further um I was uh I hung around with a lot of older people um I wanted like that older sister figure um kind of thing or older brother feel um figure or a fatherly figure like my dad was still around but he was away at work a lot so it made it hard 
Um, you know, and then I just hung around with tough people because I was a scared little person really on the inside and, um, hanging around with the big tough people. Like I used to walk with my son's dad in the shopping center and it'd be like part the Red Sea, you know, yeah. they'd walk around us and keep walking. And, um, and I got a thrill out of that because it's like, oh, I'm the tough person now. I'll keep using more drugs. And, you know, it was, um. I, the more I just use more because I'm like, ha uh-huh, I can have more than you. You know what I mean. And then I would have too much and have to ring an ambulance. And then I'd go, ha uh-huh, I still had more than you, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I didn't care because at the end of um, when I started getting into my usage, I just I wanted to numb the pain and the feelings that I, I didn't want to feel anything. Um, I just I wanted to act tough and I wanted to look good and um, I wanted people to like envy me and not me envy them and I wanted all the drugs and. You know, um, it was just, um, it become a really um, horrible lifestyle to be in. Like, um, I remember my, when I was pregnant, I wasn't using, but my um, my dealer um, was feeding me instead of my partner, like, because mm. he was more interested in the drugs and stuff. And um, that just become normal. And then um, I'd go home and my parents would look after me and they'll try and get me into detoxes and rehabs or they'll detox me at home and, and um, they'll do all the right things. And then I would um, steal my card back and I'd go and um, use again and um, run a, run away for a while. Or I'd um, have a partner at the time. Like, I went through men like I'd change my underwear, like really. Yeah. Um, I just I wanted someone to love me and feel that love and feel that void and emptiness inside. So um and a lot of them would um hurt me really badly. Um you know, I had one person lock me in a hotel room for days and just belt me really badly. Um you know and the police would sit out the front of the the hotel and they could hear me screaming but couldn't figure out which room I was in. And then I'd wake up in a hospital bed with tubes down me and you know and I'd blame my mum for not knowing where I was when I rung her. And it's just you know um and that was a regular occurrence. Um or I'd wake up from another assault and my son would be sitting there playing with a police officer and a rubber glove and I thought that that would be okay because he didn't see the abuse really and he didn't see the drug use and I didn't think it would affect him but um it did and um later down the track I would have more kids and as a result of my drug habit I'd have them taken away from me because it becomes so insatiable my habit and I couldn't see what it was doing to everybody around myself when the truth was I just wanted it to stop hurting I wanted to stop hurting and I couldn't understand what I was hurting from yeah so did your mum try and try and help you absolutely my mum and dad um especially when it come to taking my kids they did for a long time and it cost them everything it cost them their pension um it cost $109,000 to fight for my kids in court um, and they had to sell up their house and move into state where it was cheaper. Um, but now they get to be grandparents and um, not the far, the parents to my kids. Although without my parents, um, my kids would have been separated a long time ago and not as well adjusted as they are. <laughs> um, people look at my young girls and said, you would never know that they're from a broken home um, or there's massive court battles on for them at the moment or have been in the past. Um, but my parents, they put up with a lot. Um, I used to nick, borrow my mum's jewellery and go put it in um, in the hock shop and then they'll go and take it out. And every time I got in trouble, they would buy my way out of trouble pretty much. Um, they would, they used to, I went to um, a place called Teen Challenge. It's a rehab farm up in Kyabram and they would drive um, and sit there for a couple of hours and drive home so I could see my son. And I just, I couldn't get better. I didn't know why I couldn't get better. I just, um... I just kept relapsing over and over. And it wasn't that I didn't love my children. I didn't love my family. I just didn't love myself. And it made it hard because yeah. I just wanted to die. And I didn't know why. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want to face the next day. 
Yeah. And so it made it harder. Yeah, it is hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Kendra, your life's a bit of a mess, you know, growing up, not connecting with people. So how, what changed as you got into your late teens? How did, how did life, you know, change that caused you to, to become who you are? Um, so I think for me the definitive moment was, um, you know, like a relationship that I got into. I, um, you know, being that I could never sit with myself and didn't want to feel my feelings and there, there was a lot of escapism throughout my life and throughout my childhood, I um, jumped from relationship to relationship a lot through my teenage years and, you know, um, I met this bloke when I was 18 and he was... 18 years older than me or 19 years older than me or something and he he fed me all the right things yeah like I'd spent my whole life looking for that older male to protect me and um to look after me um and you know like I thought I'd found it and he said all the right things and and um I mean like it was all bullshit really let's be honest and you know like I'd I'd I'd, stutter I'd always been um very um, innocent, you know, like I'd lived a pretty sheltered life, like my mum's um, very much a, you know, like don't have sex till marriage sort of, maybe not that over the top, but, um, you know, like don't do drugs and, and have safe sex and do everything right and get a job and go to school and all that sort of stuff. And um, so I'd lived a really sheltered lifestyle and I'd never been um, exposed to hard drugs and, you know, like when I got with this bloke, he fed me all the everything said everything I needed to hear or that I thought I needed to hear at that time and um and then you know like he was he was an ice addict and you know like originally he was using behind my back and I didn't know about it and I was um you know like I was okay with that um as long as I wasn't you know like I was scared that if I put a drug in my system I was going to die that's what I'd always been told that if you use drugs you'll die um and, you know, like I'd had plenty of experience with alcohol and plenty of experience with pot and and there'd been no serious repercussions and I was comfortable with that. Um, but, like, I remember one day, the first day that I was ever exposed to um, hard drugs, he had his ice and and he said to me, oh, like, you've got to try it, like, it's awesome, just just try it. And I was like, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And um, And so he was starting to puff and, like, blowing it at me and... And, um, and you know, like that exposure eventually, um, like I wasn't so scared and it, it wasn't such a big thing. And, and um, you know, like I spent the next three years with a very, very violent, abusive man. Um, and, you know, like I'm, I'm not tall and I've always been quite skinny and, and, um, and he just overpowered me in every sense of the word and there was a lot of physical abuse and a lot of broken bones and black eyes and um, a lot of sexual abuse and financial abuse and, um, and you know, like a lot of exposure to things that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, but I have this people-pleasing complex and, you know, like I want to make sure that I'm, I'm making the world feel okay in my presence and... And, you know, like I did everything that I was told to do because I had this massive fear that if I didn't do what I was told, um, you know, like he'd leave and I'd be on my own again and I'd have to learn to sit with myself again. And, and you know, like I got comfortable and um, and got used to the beatings and got used to the abuse and, and the fear of leaving 
um, far outweighed the fear of living the rest of my life in that situation. Um, and, you know, like I, I just was too scared to go and and so for three years I, you know, I stayed in this relationship and, you know, like he'd kick me out or he'd belt me and, and I'd call mum crying and I'd be like, please come pick me up and, you know, like my mum lives... Um, it was about a 25 half hour drive and I'd call her at three o'clock in the morning and say, can you come and pick me up? And she'd come, she'd pick me up. And the next day when I woke up, I'd run straight back to him. And it was just this vicious cycle. Um, and you know, like the, the last time that I saw him, um, you know, like he tried to grab me by the throat and, you know, like I'd had enough by then I was sick and tired and and so lost and so broken um and and so angry and hateful at myself too that you know like for so long I'd let somebody have so much power over me and um you know like I really identify as a strong independent woman and um you know like I'd let someone have so much power for so long and I didn't know who I was anymore um and I couldn't even comprehend little things like how to brush my hair or how to, you know, like shower myself on a daily basis, you know, like I'd lost all that stuff and I was so caught up in this this drug scene and this drug world and um and this this relationship that brought so much dysfunction and misery to my life. Um and he tried to grab me by the throat because I was doing something wrong and, you know, like the day before he'd put my head on the ground, pushed me down, put my head on the ground, put his foot on the side of my head and like stomped on me and screamed in my face and um and I was just so sick of it and so tired and you know he went to grab me by the throat and I and I hit him back and I said if you ever touch me again like I'll fucking kill you um and and that was it you know I packed my stuff my mum come and picked me up and and I was out of there and um you know like that that moment there was when everything sort of everything changed for me um you know like before that I'd been I'd been okay being a pothead. I'd been okay being a drinker. Um, and, you know, like the moment I left that relationship, I put the ice down and I didn't touch it again. Um, and I went back to my, my drug of choice. I went back to the thing that I felt comfortable with, marijuana. But, yeah, that that was that, that moment where everything changed for me, where I realised that I was worth more than that and I needed more than that and, and I wasn't going to settle for that anymore. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, listen, we might take a quick break. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, We have some podcasts of the show that are available um, at 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and you can also find them on iTunes. Uh, If you want to contact us, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Usually we do a um, community service, service announcement and this one's for how to make trouble and influence people diary join us for the launch of the 2019 how to make trouble and influence people diary on saturday the 6th of october from 3 to 6 p.m at the old bar johnson street fitzroy there'll be readings as well as music from cold hands warm heart and laura mcfarlane entry is free Proceeds from the diary sales and 20% of the afternoon's bar takings will be donated to 3CR and the Rainforest Information Centre. So come read, drink and be merry. How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary Launch. The Old Bar, Saturday 6th of October, 3 to 6pm. See you there. A 3CR supporter. 
Um, hi, we're back and we're talking to Emma and Keandra about recovery from drug addiction through Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so, Emma, I think we left you in your, well, where were you? Early 20s, I think? Yeah. So what happened next? Um, okay, so I got onto Suboxone to get off my heroin addiction and um, I was on that for a couple of years and then I met my ex-husband um, and he said all the right things, promised me a world of dreams and endless possibilities, but gave me a nightmare in the end. Um, <laughs> he was mostly into smoking pot and stuff like that, um, and I was mostly into the speed because I, I thought, well, I'm not using heroin, so I'll just use speed. It's uh, changed the witch for the bitch, really, um, and still smoke marijuana. And and so we, um, we ended up getting married on Election Day 2007, <laughs> And I always said that I got uh, shafted more than Kevin Rudd did <laughs> at the end of it. Um, you know, um, I ended up falling pregnant with twins um, and I was very sick the whole pregnancy. Um, but they're actually not twins. They're twins that aren't twins. So they're three days apart gestationally. So um, that was okay. pretty interesting. Wow. <laughs> um, and then I got very sick with them. Um, and so I spent a lot of my time in the hospital. Um, and I was just basically alone in there. My family would come and visit me, but my ex-husband didn't really spend a lot of time in there with me. Um, he was too busy getting stoned at home, really. Um, and then I, um, when the girls were about two years old, um, I decided to go back to work and just work in a factory um, just as a cleaner and process worker. Um, and then things got really bad at home. He said you'd stay at home and look after the kids, but he wouldn't. Um, you know, we started using speed a lot. Um, uh, and then I would come home and they would be locked in their room. Um, with One day I'd come home, there was rope locked on the door from one door to the other, and I had to literally cut it off with a knife. Um, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I put them in there safely because I had to sleep off the night before. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm bouncing off walls at work, but, you know, you're, you're sleeping it off all day. And um, and I walked in and they were playing in their pee and poo, and, and I lost it. I, um, I went really nuts about it. And we are just fighting constantly at the end, like he said. Said he'd look after the kids and he wouldn't and um you know it made it really hard and then um when I left him it was actually on their birthday um when they were three years old and um he embarrassed me in front of all my friends and we had big fights and um I wanted him to go for one night that was it um just to calm down and regroup and stuff um and he just didn't come home and um I was faced with being a single parent with a seven-year-old angry child and twin two-year-old girl or three-year-old girls um and working as well and um and I was I was just suffering a lot. I um I locked myself away for a really long time and I just didn't want to wake up and I was using more drugs to try and uh, do everything um, to work and to look after them. And, you know, my mum and dad said to me, um, you know, instead of waking them up at 5 o'clock in the morning, like, because they live five, seven houses from me, and they said, um, instead of waking them up at 5 o'clock in the morning, like, just let them come and stay at my house. And um and then, but you do the mum thing at night and bath them and all this kind of stuff. And I went, yeah, no worries. And they never come home. Um, because then my mental health started suffering severely. Um, I remember on my um, wedding anniversary, a couple of months after becoming separated, I had um, used so much drugs. I tried two grams of ice all at once, tried to kill myself, and I slept for a couple of days instead. Uh, And then I woke up and I had to admit to my parents that I was back using again. 
Um, and that shattered them because they tried so I'd stopped doing they thought I'd stopped doing drugs for a while but I'd never in a really long time I was always doing something if it wasn't pills it was alcohol if it wasn't alcohol it was speed if it wasn't speed it was heroin if a lot of the times it was all at once and um and so I asked them to put me in the hospital. I was I was just losing my um, my mind really. Um, I was depressed all the time. Um, where I was working, I was um, everybody knew who I was. So there was a couple of hundred people that worked at that place both day and night shift, and they watched me fall. Um, you know, I would hide in the corner of the build of the building and just cry. And my supervisors and leading hands would find me. And, um, you know, I had one of the lady hands say, you know, come on, stop being a dumbass and just do your work, you know, but it's okay, I'm a dumbass too and we'll get through it together. And I think that kept me sane for yeah. why I work because um, everyone else was um, not supportive. Um, and so I fell and I fell and I fell. Um, and they put me off work for a while to get myself right and I just couldn't I just use more and more and more. And it didn't help that the whole factory was full of drugs, but um, no one else wanted to admit their problem, but they all put it on to me because I was the one that was open about my issues. And, um, and so it sp- spun out of control a lot. And I um, spent my birthday in the hospital, in the psych ward. And it was probably one of the best birthdays of my life. Um, I was surrounded by people that were on a similar level to me. Um, I, I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel isolated. I didn't feel um, scared to be out on my own. Um, I found people with common um, common interests and stuff. like Not even interests, but we were just as crazy as each other because my life had spun so far out of control, there was nothing but craziness in the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and this became a regular routine for a while. And, um, and then I became homeless. Um, and then I uh, was living in tin sheds um, with no door in the middle of summer, no electricity, no heating, no cooling, with rats and spiders and um, cats and dogs and people coming and going. And um, and I said, I will not spend another night like this. So I turned to street work. Um, I was paying $150 a night for a hotel room. And I did that for months and months and months. And then the more I worked, the more my drug increased. Um, the more my drug increased, the more I had to work. Um, so in the end, I was using two grams of ice a day to um, just to stop the pain. And then I was taking a heap of anti-psychs on top of it and then smoking a heap of chuff and um, just using constantly until even my dealer says, you know, I've got to hide drugs on you. I'm sick of coming so much, you know. And I'd, sometimes I'd have five dealers on speed dial coming all at once. Yeah. You know, and so we'd have races to see who got there first and then I'd pay out to all of them, you know what I mean? And it was just, it became insatiable and I couldn't stop. I couldn't see any light in my life and I couldn't see a way out. And the more I used, the more I lost my kids. In the middle of all this, I was in a really bitter custody battle and no one would represent me. So I had to represent myself. Like, honestly, who would represent me? I was a yeah. hopeless case. Yeah. And my kids deserve better than me. So I... Um, I I just I suffered a lot just at my own hand, you know what I mean? Um, I had a partner at the time who wouldn't get off and help me in any way but just take the money and the drugs. And he was also violent um, and gaslighting and manipulative and abusive. And I kept saying my parents would have taken me home but they wouldn't take me with him as well. And um, he had me so codependent on him that I couldn't function on my own. Um, so 
I thought I was the one that um, he was saving me, but in turn I was the one he was holding on to, and um, I couldn't see that. And I was under the the, um, the care of the mental health team, and um, they were begging me to stop. They said, you're just going to die. And I, I would go to cross-addiction specialist, and he would go, you know, Emma, if you don't stop, you're going to be the addict that dies. And I said, he goes, I can't help you. And I said, I know. I said, I just banged half a gram before I walked in here. Do you not think I'm stupid? But I need to show people I'm trying. I said, there's no way out for me. You know, I couldn't see any way of possibly getting clean at all. It was just a pipe dream. And I would say to anyone who was clean, good luck to you, mate, but that's not me. I said, I can't stop using it. It's insatiable. And I would um, be doing that up at the same time, ringing my dealer saying, can you come back, mate? I just want to grab some more. And he goes, I'll be in in a second. I'm like, why? And he goes, because every time I ring you, you call me and say, come back and drop some more. So now I'll just wait for your call. You know, I'll go to the psych ward and because I'd get um, involuntarily taken there because of the amount I'm using. And um, I'd have the police kick in my door and... You know, because I'm saying I'm the Antichrist and all kinds of stuff, and you know, and um, and it just it becomes so insane my life, and um, I walked out with a seven grand debt in the middle of the psych world because my dealer was dropping off like ten times a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just insane and crazy. And then I'm I'm thinking I can't be insane. You know, you think that you can take all that and psychotic drugs and an antipsychotics and it's going to do something. It's not going to do anything but send you crazy. You know, and um and I was using more of the um amph- the methamphetamines to um, counterbalance the absolute drainingness of all the antipsychs they had me on. I was literally drooling with the amount of medication they had me on and all it was is i was extremely broken yeah. they couldn't understand what why i was so broken i lost my house my job my kids my car my husband within weeks of each other and then um i couldn't see any other way out but just to keep using and use and use and use and then uh, the guilt and the shame of working on the street and out of a hotel room and at the back of the car and in toilet blocks and wherever i could just to get the next fix to keep a roof over my head you know what I mean? I did everything that I swore I'd never do and I'll become everything I swore and promised I never would become. And then I had to lie to my family about it and I had to lie to everybody about who I was and what I was doing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like my biggest fear was my kids finding out what I was doing and um, and even that he still found out. And um, so the guilt and shame of that. But, um, you know, a lot's changed since getting into recovery and um, and I don't have to do those things anymore. But, okay. um, you know, but you know what? I wouldn't change any of it. You know, yeah. it made me who I am today. Yeah. And um, that's a strong, independent person with a lot going for her. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, cut back to you, Kendra. Um, So I think when we left you, you got to the point where you wanted to change, but you couldn't. So how did, how did your life change? Yeah, so um, after I left my ex, I spent another six months, um, you know, just smoking pot and... Um, I don't know, like you asked Emma a question before about, um, you know, like about our, her parents trying to help and stuff, and it made me think about, um, you know, my mum and what I sort of put her through. Um, you know, like I, I tend to believe more often than not she was – I kept her fairly sheltered from that stuff. You know, I ran away a lot to use and all that sort of stuff, um, and I was moving around a lot and, and always at friends' houses, Um and it was only sort of the last six months after I left my ex and I was so broken that I just didn't care anymore and, and more and more of that stuff started to come out. And um, So I'd left my ex and I was staying up the road from my mum's house um, 
at a friend's because I knew that his dad didn't care if we smoked there, so we'd use there and, and I didn't have to worry about sneaking out to go and use or any of that sort of stuff. I could just sit with my drugs and be left in peace and, and um, by that stage, like, that's all I wanted was to just smoke until I died, really. Like, I was I was absolutely miserable and I was so broken and... um. I don't know, like over the years I'd always had drug and alcohol workers and mental health workers and counsellors and all that sort of stuff and, um, you know, like those people couldn't help me unless I wanted help and for majority of my life I didn't want help and, you know, like I remember towards the end of my active addiction, you know, like I'd set myself these little tasks and um, before I went to bed at night, you know, like I'd tell myself that, I'm just going to, um, I'm not going to use tomorrow. I'm going to do my washing. I'm going to clean my room and I'm going to go and, you know, walk the dog or do, do something productive with my day. And, and just one day, you know, like just to prove to myself that I can do one day without using drugs. Um, and, and I can use for the rest of my life. One day in the scheme of the rest of my life is not such a big deal. Um, and then I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up the next morning and without even thinking, you know, like my head would be, all right, what am I doing? How am I going to get on today? How am I going to get drugs today? And um, and I wouldn't think about all the promises I'd made myself the night before until I put a drug in my system. And the minute I put a drug in my system, that guilt and shame um, and the reminder of all the promises that I'd made myself the night before. Um, so I had this drug and alcohol worker um, and I think, you know, like my my early recovery and stuff is all pretty blurry um, and, it, you know, like it was a long time ago, you know, like I'm over two and a half years clean now and um, I think it was suggested to me that at that stage I was only 21 and it was a couple of months before my 22nd birthday and um, I was still eligible to go into a youth, a youth detox. Um, so, you know, like I was like, okay, sure, why not? Um, you know, like I, I had this thing in my head that, you know, like I'd made all, all these promises and not been able to keep any of them. And maybe if I go and get two weeks away from the drugs and detox, then I'll be able to come out and I won't have to use every day. And I won't have this complete powerlessness that I had over my drug use. And, um, you know, like I'd be able to go and just smoke on the weekends or just drink when I'm out with mates or that sort of stuff. I wouldn't need to rely on it every single minute of every single day. And, um, so I went and did this detox and my early um, first week of the detox was a lot of crying, a lot of vomiting and a lot of um, just absolute pain and torture. And, um, you know, like my withdrawals for somebody who was using massive, massive amounts of chuff a day, um, my withdrawals were like, like heroin withdrawals it was absolutely horrendous and I did eight days of crying and vomiting and and then I started to get a little bit of clarity in my head you know like I found this this um you know like this feeling that I hadn't experienced um in as long as I could remember um you know like it it was like a sense of freedom you know like a, a sense of clarity in my head that you know the drugs had started to wear off and and it was purely me thinking and, and not the drugs thinking for me, not the drugs impacting my thought process and my um, the way that I thought and the way that I acted and stuff. And, you know, like I remember the day before we my detox finished, they took us to an NA meeting and, um, you know, like they talk a lot about a higher power at NA and I, and I saw this stuff written everywhere and all over the walls and 
these drug addicts that I thought were way too um, badass for me or whatever, um, all sitting in a room, but some of them were laughing and some of them were crying because they were having bad days or whatever. And and I was like, nah, man, this like this place is not for me. And um, and and so I went back to detox and I got released the following day. And I remember I was sitting on the steps waiting for my stepdad to come and pick me up. And, um, you know, like I'd already very much come to terms that when I have a drug in my system, I've got no chance of actually having any control over where my life's going. And, you know, I'm sitting there waiting for my stepdad and my dealer lived just down the road. And, you know, like I was faced with these two options, do something so that I stay clean or... um go and use and start all over again and have to go, you know, another year, another 10 years, another 20 years, another 50 years or whatever, and then have to try and get clean again and go through all the withdrawals again and all the pain and, and find that clarity again and all that stuff. And, um, and so I chose to go to an NA meeting. Oh, well. um, yeah, I, I don't know where my head went with that, but I'm so glad that it did. Um, so I went to my local NA meeting and I was very lucky that there was a meeting on the lunchtime in Dananong where I did my detox just around the um, corner and so I went there and you know like the feeling I got between my first meeting and my second meeting was completely different I don't know whether it was because it was a different area or different people or what um, but I, I felt almost like I was at home yeah like it just it made sense and you know like there was another member at that meeting who had um three years clean time up at the time and you know like he was he was crying because he was having a hard day um a challenging day and and you know saying I want to use um but the solution was that he had that place and he came to a meeting when he when he wanted to use he came to a meeting um and he didn't have to use that day um, and, you know, that member's over six years clean and is my sponsor now. And, um, you know, like that that just showed me that it is possible. Um, and, you know, like since then I've been very heavily involved in a lot of service and, and a lot of um, giving back to that program. And, you know, like it wasn't easy. Some days are bloody hard. Um, and some days I honestly question whether it would be easier to continue or to, to go and put a drug in my system again. But I know, you know, that's not an option today. Um, I don't know, like I've got my partner's an addict in recovery and I've just had a little boy, six months old, and um, he's absolutely my pride and joy. And, you know, like I'm able to be present today and I'm able to be a good mum and, um, and just the little things, yeah, like holding my son for the first time and, and, and putting him in the pram and going for a walk in the sun and all that sort of stuff. You know, like I, I think in the nearly 10 years of using, I didn't notice the sun once or I didn't notice fresh air or butterflies or flowers or yeah. anything once. Like I was just so caught up in my own world and what was going on for me and nothing, nothing around me, you know. Like if it if it wasn't drugs or how I was getting drugs or, you know, where I was going to get drugs, I didn't care. And... um you know, like the smallest things for me today are the things that bring me the most joy. That's good. That's really good. Well, listen, we might take a quick break. 
You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Emma and Kendra about recovery from drug addiction. Um, so, Emma, your entry into Narcotics Anonymous, how'd that happen? Okay, so um, I actually come in a year clean. Um, I had shared my story on my Facebook very openly and honestly about recovery um, and how I got into recovery and my journey. And um, I had a person message me who I didn't expect and said um, that they were an addict suffering suffering, and how could I help. Um, I'd never heard of Narcotics Anonymous before. Um, so I um, got into recovery by finding a higher power, absolutely. Um, can I just talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah. Okay, um, so... I was in the depths of my addiction. Um, I was in the depths of my insanity, and um, I realised I'd lost everything. Um, my final court hearing had been for my children, and they wrote me out as if I was dead. Um, they said that was the only way that they could help their, my children transition into losing me because they knew I would not survive my addiction. Um, so I lost all my rights. I lost everything in regards to my children, and um, it just spun me even more out of control. So um, I got dangerous into my addiction the people that I was associated with and um I realized I'd lost everything um so one night I uh, I'd met this man he was a client of mine um but he didn't want anything he just wanted to talk and um he told me all about my life without even knowing it um told me how I could get into recovery and he said um use methadone um to counterbalance an extremely high high to use a extremely low low and um so I did um and I, it took me three days for it to work and kick in. And then um, I had the week long, I had a hangover for a week and it was the best hangover of my life, but I was as sick as a dog. Um, and then I caught my ex cheating on me. Um, and so I went, you know what, stuff this. I'm just going to go neck myself. Like it was two o'clock in the morning. No one knew who I, where I was. And um, I went to go hang myself in a park. And, um, and I stood there and I screamed out to anything, the universe, whoever, to, um, I said, if you want me to survive this, I said, really survive this? I said, show me one person that cared. It was two o'clock on a Tuesday morning and I didn't think anybody cared at that time in the morning. And, um, and me and this guy that I'd met weren't actually, I call him my Jesus, um, because he messaged me at the right time. And he said, can I have five minutes of your time? And I said, it might be my last five minutes. And he goes, the chain is not for me. And um and no one knew where I was, so that's what that's why I call him my Jesus, you know. Right at the right time someone contacted and we weren't friends on Facebook, so it should have gone on my filter messages, but it comes straight through. Um I talked to him for three hours, it started to rain, my um phone went flat and I went home and um I started detoxing um really badly. Um, I detoxed for, I think, in a total of eight weeks. Um, it got to the, so that's the 23rd of March, 16. Um, on the 6th of May, um, I was severely sick, dehydrated. I couldn't stop being sick. Um, I went to the hospital. The hospital said, you're detoxing bad, go home. And I said, I'll show you what detoxing bad looks like and um, and how to fix it. So I rang my dealer, asked for half a gram and said, meet you at my house. And I had it all at once. And because I hadn't had anything for so long, it literally dropped me. Um, I woke up surrounded by spew. Um, every orifice in my body was covered. Um, I crawled to my bed. I rang my mum. And my mum and dad had cut me off. So um, I rang the home phone. It got through. My mum answered. Um, I said, I'm spewing over the phone. I said, Mum, you got to come and get me. And she goes, no. And I said, please, I'm going to die tonight if you don't come and get me. And um, so she drove 40 minutes to get me. Um, 
she walked in, saw me in the state I was, ran outside, rang my dad crying and said, I'm taking her home. Um, I remember grabbing her skirt, looking up at her and said, don't let me die. I said, if I survive tonight, I promise I'll never use again. Just take me home and make me well. She goes, I'm taking you home and I'll look after you. And so um, for the next couple of weeks, my daughters spoon-fed me jelly and fruit um, and wiped me down. I accidentally power-spewed orange juice all over my son and all he could do is laugh and say, it's got to come out somehow while I'm crying <laughs> beside myself. So I got myself well um, with my family um, and I made a promise I'd never use again and I didn't. Um, I come to the brink of death severely um, by the withdrawals and um, I fight every day to keep myself clean um, but I do that with a higher power greater than myself um, I pray all the time I pray to whatever I can to get me through the next day um, and, and so that's how I get through and so when this lady asked me to take her to NA I had no idea what it was and so I went with her as support and I walked in and I sat down and I found people that were like-minded and the same. And I went, wow, I found my tribe. Um, I should have been looking for friends in side recovery, not friends out on the streets in addiction. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're like family and at times family have their own suffering and their own problems. And, um, you know, but we all love and care for each other and we try and work it out. We work a program and, and um, it's all about unity. And it's not just about us. It's about the still suffering addict that's on the street that needs our help. So that's why I come every day. I've got lots of service positions. Um, I used to go once a week and I thought that was enough. You know, oh yeah, yeah NA day, woo! I didn't realise NA was every day, um, and then I got well um, a lot better. I was still stuck inside the insanity sometimes and um, trying to figure out what's real or not. But um, do we are any of us really sane? Like, come on, um, you know. So it, um, I found peace inside myself, and you know, when I gave my will and my life over to a higher power greater than myself, I filled up that emptiness that was inside that I ran on for a really long time, and I don't need the the um the drug or sex or alcohol anything to fill the void inside my life and um and people say it's me that's done it I say no the difference between me and the still suffering addict is I I have a higher power greater than myself that takes care of it for me and a willingness to keep myself clean yeah so how long have you been recovered um how long yeah um two years and four months um so best two years four months of my life i've even just stopped smoking cigarettes recently and that was probably the worst drug to try and stop <laughs> yeah i was um a smoker over drugs any day and my drug habit was bad so that says something yeah um but now i am um, i'm a productive active member in you know community i went back to school um and did justice and legal services um so i could understand why they took my kids on yep. what cause, and if I ever, um, I'm actually back in proceedings of getting them back now. Um, usually, when final orders are in play, they don't like to open the case again. Um, but they, um, the lawyer was watching my Facebook and saw that I was doing well and offered to help me. So now I get another chance to fight for my kids. And I'm, I used to have supervised visits, and now I have visits with them overnight, and I love it. I dance around the house, and I can be present in their life, and you know, just become bonding again with my kids and getting to know who they are and yeah, I've missed so much. Yeah, that's that's fantastic news. Um, well, listen, um, if anybody out there would like to know a bit more about Narcotics Anonymous, then you can call them on 03-9525-2833 or go online at navic.net.au. Um, it's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Emma and Kendra for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their 
Narcotics Anonymous Recovery Experience with us. Thank you Thank both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I just want to end on one more thing, um, yeah. just really quickly, and that is um, don't give up, you know. Never give up giving up. Your story isn't over yet. You can rewrite the ending. We did. Thank you. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the problem of drinking in your family and we'll be joined um, by some members of Alaron Family Groups. Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, thanks for listening to Living Free Show today.